You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, volume number 88 by Rudolf Steiner, uh, entitled Concerning the Astral World and Devakon. It is six, the notes from 16 lectures and four private lessons, translated by James Hines. This is Lecture 2, entitled The Higher Worlds and Our Participation in Them, given in Berlin on November 4, 1903. Thoughtful people could perhaps consider an event that occurred surprisingly quickly a few days ago to be proof that there can be a number of unknowns in the space in which we are all located and in which we may suddenly perceive their effects without our having even previously suspected that they existed. You will perhaps already have guessed that I am speaking of the event that occurred last week. On a beautiful afternoon, it was last Saturday, suddenly all the telegraph lines in France ceased to work. It was impossible to telegraph or telephone any place in France, and physicists had no idea why. In the evening the electricity functioned again as before the outage. This disturbance could be felt over the entire earth. Before this occurred no one had any idea that such a thing could happen, that suddenly all the telegraph lines could go dead. Science will discover the reason soon enough. But we must be clear that a force can work continuously around the entire earth, of which we can form no idea. These are connections of which we know nothing and have no idea ahead of time how they work. We human beings belong to the astral world as much as we belong to the physical world. We also belong to even higher worlds. We will understand the existence of these worlds only when we see what kind of forces play into our world from those worlds. A new world opens for those whose eyes have been opened to the astral world. This is the world in which we see all the drives and instincts, all the passions and temperaments, the same way we see the things around us in the physical world. But this astral world is not the highest. It is the world that lies one step higher than our physical world. It is a finer world which permeates our entire world. Then our world is also permeated by an even higher world, the actual spiritual world that we in theosophy call the devaconic world or the mental world. When our eyes are opened to this world, it is possible for us to see the thoughts that are not permeated by feelings and wishes that are pure thoughts in the same way that we see things. These are the three worlds that we belong to. These are the three worlds that we pass through in our life from incarnation to incarnation. Thus the astral world is not the highest world that we deal with. A special lecture will be dedicated to the higher spiritual world. We will now consider this in-between world, which is of very special importance for us because it lies closest to our physical world. We ascribe so-called psychic vision to those whose eyes have been opened to this sphere. Not only do physical things appear to them, 
but also everything that lives in human beings as drive, wishes, and passions, appears to them as things. These astral things are so magnificent that our physical world cannot be compared with them. I can only give a sketchy description of them. Those whose eyes for that world are opened see things that ordinary people see but cannot decipher. That is psychic vision. But there is a yet higher vision, spiritual vision. It is related to psychic vision approximately as the view from the peak of a mountain is related to a view from a cliff halfway up the mountain upon a town and objects in a valley below. Think of a village, a city and its surroundings, seen from the ground you are standing on. This you can compare with the physical sight of an ordinary average human being. Climb halfway up the mountain and stand still there. Then you can compare this with psychic vision. Climb all the way to the top. Then you can compare the view with spiritual vision. Only very few people have this spiritual vision in our time. Later there will be more people. Those who have this vision achieved it in previous incarnations by conducting a pure mental life. In the realm of thinking, they sought the path of pure, crystal-clear knowledge of the world. It was obvious to those people that they would follow a pure moral life, just as it was obvious to ordinary people that they would follow their everyday occupations, entertainments, drives, and passions. Those for whom a life in pure thought is a given then bring with them into their next incarnation the ability to see these things that they devoted themselves to in their earlier life. They see through the world. They look from above, so to speak, not only into the physical world, but also into that world I have described as the astral. They can describe this world with broad strokes, to be sure, as it appears from above, but they can describe everything with greater clarity than those who have merely psychic vision. What we have as hypnotism and magnetism are parts of psychic vision. Somnambulistic vision is also a part of psychic vision. However, if we remain standing at the psychic plane, then we are not standing on the peak. Error is still possible on the psychic plane. Only those who have attained spiritual vision can survey the world from all sides. Only those who see things from above will have a free, unimpeded view of the things in the psychic world. Those who are able to see into this psychic world know as a fact that the origin and beginning of the human being does not lie in the physical world. They know that what is found in the human being as a physical body was chosen from a higher body, from something that was present earlier than this physical body. Two points of view are possible, the materialistic and the spiritual. The materialistic point of view holds that human beings create their physical existence out of existing physical substances, and then this material matter produces the mind and spirit. This view then follows some arbitrary material phenomenon and asks, for example, what is going on in the organism, what is going on in the finer processes that take place in the brain, when a feeling or an idea is in us. Those who have psychic vision know that this body did not create itself. They know that the body was chosen by a higher human being who now lives in it. Create, in quotes, does not mean what we today mean by the word create. 
Rather, it means to choose. This means that the soul of a human being, the psyche, which comes from other regions, chose this body for itself so that it could be an instrument for the soul to follow goals that originate in a higher world. Now that I have given you a preview of this subject, allow me to portray for you in brief strokes how human beings prepare for their earthly pilgrimage. Allow me to show you how human beings come about and, in another lesson, I will show you their cosmic origins. Today we will consider only what leads to human existence in our epoch. I will be telling you only facts, for I have already said that those who lecture about the spiritual world must carefully weigh every word. They must weigh their words, not once but many times. Do not take my words as spoken arbitrarily, but rather as words spoken with a complete sense of responsibility for what I say. You can accept the facts that I am setting before you, just as you would take the words set forth by a natural scientist describing what can be seen with a telescope. Human beings are not beings who live only once, but rather many times through many, many incarnations. A human being puts on a physical sheath often. This physical sheath is the most external of the sheaths in which the actual human being is enveloped. The actual individual who goes from incarnation to incarnation, who carries sin and atonement from one incarnation to another, is characterized as the higher self. At birth, this higher self enters into the body. After death, this higher self leaves the body in order to appear again in the world after one and a half to two millennia. In the meantime, this higher self abides in higher worlds. And then, after this self has transitioned into a kind of maturity, it attempts again to incarnate. The wish grows in this self to become active again within material earthly existence, to learn another lesson within earthly existence. Now, we must observe a twofold origin for the human being. This observation provides us with two series of facts. One unfolds within our physical world, the other unfolds in a higher world. To begin, I will sketch for you only this higher world. In the time between death and a new birth, the human being is in a purely spiritual world, which we will call the mental world, or Devakan. This is a world that has two regions, a purely spiritual higher world and a lower world. Between two incarnations, the human being always enters the higher spiritual world, which we also characterize as the Arupa sphere. Undeveloped human beings live in the higher sphere for a very short period of time, while those who are developed spend much more time there. Every human being must pass through this region. Later we will see why. From this region, human beings must descend into the lower region, into the region in which subjective thoughts, the substance of thoughts, are to be found. In this region, the self receives its body of thought. It surrounds itself with the substance of thought. This makes it possible for us to follow this self as it descends from the higher region down into the world of thought substance. These spheres are not actually above one another, but rather inserted one inside another. It is similar to a living organism, except that it is more active than our physical organism. 
After the self has entered into this thought region and formed a new organism out of thought substance, a wish drives it down further. It surrounds itself with matter from the astral or psychic world, so that the higher self, before it enters into a physical organism, is already a higher organism. It was thought substance, and this was then woven into astral substance. We were such an organism before we entered the physical plane. For a seer who can research the psychic sphere, this astral world is just as clear and transparent as the physical world is for the eyes of a researcher in the physical world. In the physical world we distinguish three kinds of existence, three different aggregate conditions, solid, liquid, and gas. Additionally, there is the so-called ether, the etheric kind of substance, that is the reason why light passes through space, warmth, and so forth. This is the finest state in the physical plane. It is exactly the same in the astral world with respect to the division, but entirely different with respect to the quality, the characteristics of the astral. In the astral world we are dealing with various kinds of astral substance. Something penetrates into our world, the world that we know. Something permeates all of us as human beings, and we call it the astral world. In the astral world we see astral substance without our being able to comprehend it properly. In the Middle Ages people who knew about such things still spoke about substances through which the self was drawn into the physical, and they called these substances the humors. What in our physical world are the various conditions of matter, solid, fluid, gas, and etheric, are in the psychic world the four humors, but we can name them only according to their reflection as they are in us, as they live in us. The physical conditions of matter, solid, fluid, gas, and etheric, correspond in the astral world to what we call the four temperaments. What causes us to have a certain temperament corresponds to a very specific condition of matter. Those who have a choleric temperament in their astral body have the humor especially well developed that corresponds to the state of matter called choleric, chole. Thus in the astral world there are temperaments that correspond to the four conditions of matter. Just as the ancients spoke of earth, water, air, and fire, so too they spoke of the four conditions of matter in the astral world, which consist of astral substance. According to which astral substance predominates, a person will have a specific temperament. Just as our physical existence in space has its three unique dimensions, so too there is an astral space, but it is different from our physical space. Because it is different there, beginners will find it difficult to find their way around. There is something corresponding to the dimensions of physical space and astral space. Just as our physical space has height, breadth, and depth, so too in the astral field there are certain dimensions. Now, there is a strange connection between the dimensions in the astral field and what we call time in physical life. Past, present, and future in the physical world are only projections, shadow-like images of the dimensions that exist in the astral world. In the astral world there is also something like past, present, and future as dimensions. 
But what distinguishes the astral world from our physical world is the fact that there is yet another dimension beyond, past, present, and future, which is often called the fourth dimension. This is a pictorial expression, but not entirely suitable. No one should speak of the fourth dimension who cannot see it. The astral world is very confusing for those who see it for the first time. It is also distinguished from the physical world by the fact that things are not solid, but diaphanous and permeable. For this reason, we also call it the region of diaphanous permeability. There are no borders around bodies for the astral eye, E-Y-E, as in the physical world. The backside of every body is just as visible as the front side. Fundamentally speaking, in the astral world we do not see things from the outside as in the physical world. As you know, in the physical world we see things as they stand before us. For example, we see the trees along a boulevard extending away from us in perspective. Space offers us a view with perspective. The trees at a distance appear closer together and trees closer to us appear farther apart. This way of seeing stops completely in the astral world. There we see the things from within. If you look at a cube from the outside, the sides of the cube appear to you in perspective. The astral view is as if you were standing in the middle of the cube and could see all the sides from within. Ledbetter also said this in his book titled The Astral Plane. We can give only a kind of symbol, a kind of projection. Our words are related only to the physical plane. Therefore we must first translate what we have seen in the astral world into physical language. When we say that we see things in the astral world, quote, from the inside, close quote, this is just a translation of what is present in the astral world into a physical projection. The fact that beginners are seeing things from a side different from the usual creates a kind of confusion for them. Their point of view has changed completely. This experience is common to all beginners. For example, when you see a number in the astral world, for example, 265, you are seeing according to your usual habits, as you see things in the physical world from the outside. However, in the astral, your standpoint makes you see things from the inside. In the astral world, the number must be read 562, because the standpoint is from within. Thus it must be read from the other side symmetrically reversed. These are the reasons for the confusion that happens to beginners whose eyes have been opened. People knowledgeable in this area are called adepts, and it is a fundamental law of theosophy that no one's inner eye, E-Y-E, is allowed to be opened unless it happens with the help of an adept. It is impossible for those who are led by masters to be exposed to such errors. This is the world in which human beings are to be found before they are incarnated, before their physical body has been formed. Now we wish to observe what is drawn toward the astral organism from the physical world. The human being's physical bodily nature that is born through physiological forces. I am drawing your attention to a fact that touches on the mystery of life and death at the same time. Through the fact that human beings enter into the physical world, the fact that they take hold of the physical world and are woven into the physical matter, through this fact they are subject to the laws of reproduction, the laws of birth and death as we know them in the physical world.
It is true that there is another birth and another death, but the birth and death that we know has existed in our epoch of human evolution only within the time of Atlantis and part of Lemuria. These three epochs of humanity, root races, were preceded by two others in which human beings did not have bodies as dense as ours. They had a fine, delicate body, not one formed from coarse matter. This body was not yet connected with physical reproduction as we know it. This form of reproduction began only with the third root race in the time of Lemuria. Before that there was a kind of reproduction within the living human organism that reminds us of today's lowest biological organisms, which reproduce through cell division. A cell pulls together and then splits in two. This is asexual reproduction. During the first and second root races, in the polar and hyperborean epochs, human beings reproduced through such a division of their etheric bodies. These two human races, which preceded the third, reproduced in such a way that one body caused another body to come forth from it. This kind of reproduction serves to remind us of these most ancient epochs. Perhaps you know that in the most ancient epoch, Adam Kadmon was venerated. You know this from Hindu esoteric teachings, and from the Bible you know the two creation accounts. In the first creation account we are told that God created the human being, and, as is reported there literally, he created the human being male-female. Sexual reproduction was not the first kind. A superficial observation of the Bible often claims that these two accounts are a contradiction, but there is no contradiction, because the first creation story tells of a human race in which there was not yet any sexuality, which was still male-female. The division of the sexes and what we today call birth and death, appeared only in the third root race in the Lemurian epoch. Something else that had previously not existed also appeared at that time. The human being did not yet have the ability to think, to picture things mentally. The fact that we can imagine an object in our minds is something that has come about only in the fifth epoch. For example, I can create in my mind a picture of a bottle. Earlier human beings could not do that. The ability to visualize and think developed simultaneously with physical matter. Oddly enough, we meet here the important historical fact that led to founding of the theosophical movement of the present. In the last two decades of the 19th century, natural science arrived at certain ideas concerning sexual reproduction and birth and death that theosophy has had already for centuries. The recent decades that we have all experienced have shed light on the process of physical reproduction of human beings, and thus also on that of the higher animals. Scientific research no longer represents the point of view that was held twenty years ago, that bisexuality is a biological necessity. You can read about this in journals of natural science. Certain and decisive research has produced results that the present-day process of reproduction has an entirely different meaning than what had been thought to be the case, for nature could have been sufficiently served by monosexuality. Today it has been thoroughly scientifically proven 
that two sexes are not biologically necessary for reproduction, that something different was intended with bisexuality, for one sex would have been sufficient. What then is the meaning of bisexuality? Natural science tells us that bisexuality occurred so that a mixing of qualities could occur. Otherwise, there would have been much less diversity in the varieties of physical bodies present. Later descendants would have always shown the same type as the earliest predecessors. Nature allowed two sexes to appear in order to mix things up, in order to bring about a mixing of inheritable characteristics. Multiplicity was supposed to be produced in the third human race, and that is when the first animals appeared. Nature's purpose was to produce as many different beings as possible, so that the beings descending from the spiritual and astral worlds would find the greatest possible number of bodies. A human being should find a new body that is the result of multifarious mixing, in order not to remain in the same body type. You see, what theosophy has taught since ancient times has been researched by natural science. Now that we have seen both the descent of spiritual beings and the way the physical world comes to meet the descending spiritual being, we will observe the process one more time. What I am saying is fact. It is definitely certain. I will portray the elements that are present in the origin of a human being from both sides. To begin with, we have the zygote, the germ that resembles a tiny fish in its first days. I need to indicate this only with a sketch. It looks like this. Bracket, a sketch was drawn on the chalkboard. The drawing has not been preserved. Close bracket. Approximately on the 17th day, the zygote is approached by the astral being. A psychic researcher knows this astral being just as well as a physical researcher knows the physical being. A seer sees in the astral world many funnel-shaped forms. Those are human beings on their way to incarnation. Those are the beings seeking their physical incarnation. And sold by the pressing wish to incarnate, these forms hurry through astral space with great speed and seek physical matter. Those who have read the second part of Goethe's Faust and remember the scene with the homunculus will be able to understand it only if they know that Goethe wanted to portray this process. These astral forms have the most varied colorings, which we can hardly imagine. Within these astral bodies there is a stripe that is lost in the indefinite. It is a bright yellow color. These astral bodies are connected with a physical body that they themselves seek out when the embryo has the approximate shape of a fish. Then a change occurs. The light ray, or band of light, is split into two parts, into two brightly shining streaks or rays. This is the case for most people, and thus it would appear to you if you could follow human beings at their origin. A somewhat different process is displayed by a few people. Only a few people show a somewhat different process. A few people display an enduring, brightly colored stripe, which, however, does pale somewhat at the point when it disappears entirely in other people, but it does remain. This is present in those people who will have spiritual vision. Let us remain for a moment with the usual process in which the band of light is divided. The astral form now unites with the physical embryo. 
Everything is permeated by this one little drop, so to speak, by a bright yellow liquid. This later grows into the so-called sympathetic nervous system, which takes care of the human being's physical nervous system. In addition to the brain and spinal cord system, we have another nervous system, the sympathetic, which directs the body's lower functions. One drop of the astral form flows through and permeates the sympathetic nervous system, the other the brain and spinal cord system. Thus the human being is ensouled. According to cosmic laws, the two cones of light go over into the physical body and permeate it with spirit. This shining light appears anew with every human being, especially permeating the brain. When this moment occurs, then, as a matter of fact, what human beings have brought with them from earlier lives and what they have from the physical world unite together. Thus the two entities unite, which together constitute the full human being. We have lived in previous incarnations. We have passed through the spiritual world. There we were spirit. The spirit descends through the astral world and is enveloped in astral substance. Human beings attract this substance, which is what they bring with them from earlier lives, from the astral sphere. These are the two things that human beings bring with them, the spiritual and the astral. The shining light represents the abilities that we have brought from previous lives. These enter into the entity after it has satisfied its burning desire to be united with an astral organism. From then on, the human embryo grows not only by means of physical forces, but also from within. What has been achieved in previous lives now works from within, outward, in producing a body. It is not your organism that produces your soul, but your soul produces your organism. The human embryo is only a few days old when it is united with the soul. It is the only thing that is given to us from outside. It is given to us following very specific laws. We will discuss them in more detail. As a matter of fact, we understand the birth and death of human beings only when we know the two entities they are composed of and how these two entities have flowed together to create a whole human being. It is then the case that we ourselves work on our external organs. They are not a product of the external world. They are an image of what we have brought with us. The end of Lecture 2